Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. Let's go, everyone. You already know who it is. James. Let's go. Chris. Let's let's go. go. (laughs) And we're back with another episode. And James has got some things to talk about. Oh, yeah, I do. So, you know, out here on, you know, the baseball content creating landscape, uh, you know, right now, uh, I'd like to think that we kind of dominate the Spotify side of things. I don't know any of the others that are, you know, major Spotify uh, podcasts, and I think we're making pretty good headways here. Um, But there's quite a few that are very good YouTube pages. Um, and obviously some have bigger strengths in some ways than others, like Robbie Hyde. He's fantastic at out of the box thinking. He's really good Mm -hmm. at being flexible with, with his, uh, ideas that he's taking in and different people's opinions. And he's not a guy to just close out opinions without fully considering them. Uh, so I have a lot of respect for him there. Um, Mark Draftneck, Mark, he sticks to his points. If he truly believes something, then, you know, he's going to stick by it and defend it. And, you know, even if he has to, you know, seem as if he's being rude, you know, like at the beginning and the end of the day, he believes in something strongly enough that he, he'd fight it. You know, he'd fight, he'd fight, you know, for that belief because he believes in it that strongly. Um, so that kind of conviction being able to stand by your points to that degree. I respect that. I really do. And he's also fairly learned. And I, and I have seen on a year to year basis, he's become a better and better analyst. Uh, I remember one time I hadn't watched him for about like a year and a half. And I watched one of his videos and I was like, wow, he's grown by leaps and bounds. So he's definitely somebody who is a good analyst. Um, he's more of a guy to listen to than a guy to interact with. If that makes sense though, because he's so, you know, attached to his points that uh, if you tell him something that he disagrees with, he's, he vehemently disagrees with it too. So it's not like he, I I think is going to be in a position to hear you as much. I think in person, absolutely a hundred percent. But I've tried, uh, you know, over a live stream a few times, how he is, he doesn't consider um, the, the full sides of, of other person's points if he's already come to a conclusion. Um, whereas Robbie, Robbie's willing to rethink out things in moment. So, I mean, honestly, they're, they're both great analysts, but I guess that the, the bigger difference is I feel like Robbie has less of um, an ego about it. Like, no disrespect to, to Mark, because I, I respect him for having that, for having that conviction but it also stops him from being able to take in certain amounts of information. If that makes sense. Like if he makes a decision, he's going to be able to really commit to it and feel strong about it. Whereas I feel like Robbie, he'd always be considering if there was better options out there because he'd be able to take in more information freely. So each analyst has their own way of being, but you know, you could work your way around to all of these sites and all of these different pages. There's a certain page called baseball doesn't exist. And I'll tell you, as far as, you know, analysis goes, and as far as being able to break down the full side of a bunch of these stories, he was able to pull up even the stuff from uh, that Reddit user that I had talked about on here from the Astros scandal 
Like he pulled up the actual Reddit clips. Like this is a guy who he's able to get his hands on a lot of uh, research. Um, and I'd, I'd, I'd be willing to bet that he's pretty active in the Twitter sphere. I kind of stay out of that because it seems like just arguments all the time, fairly hostile. Um, and I'm not, you know, down for that kind of internet, you know, World War One trench warfare type uh, communication, mm-hmm. if you will. But, you know, it can sharpen your mind to such a degree. You know, I know that because my dad's a lawyer, you know, it sharpened his mind. He's one of the more brilliant minds that I know. Um, so, you know, hat tip to Stephen Scott out there. But um, no, but like talking about, again, this, this, this guy, a baseball doesn't exist. Uh, he's, he's made a lot of fantastic videos. So he made one recently about Jose Altuve. Yeah. Okay. We're getting around to the cheating Astros. We're getting around to that part of the video. We just, um, we just can't break away from them. It, it'll always come back. It, 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 it'll, it'll always come back. Like, even if it's like, uh, you know, we're, we're 20 years from now, we're going to find a way to compare a player now to a player then, or we'll find a way to keep it in the show. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> uh, this guy, he, he made a fantastic video. Go check it out. Baseball doesn't exist. He did it about Jose Altuve and uh, how Jose Altuve may have definitely participated in the cheating scandal. Probably if they did, did something other than, um, you know, getting the trash can bangs or, or the whistles. Uh, he probably, if he cheated, you know, as much as everybody else did, it was probably in some other means, by some other means. Um, and the numbers falling off the way that they did, that does indicate technically that he did cheat. And there's a lot of proof, especially that, you know, at bat versus Chapman, that he did cheat. But, but the buzzers, that's kind of been ruled out. Um, And, you know, if you look at this guy's video, which, you know, it goes way more into detail than I could ever go into with this. You become fairly convinced that even if Jose Altuve had done it here and there, he clearly didn't like it. He clearly didn't want it going on. The other players on the team say as much. Um, I'm willing to give him a little bit of a pass, given that he had a well, a fantastic career before the cheating, before any of that stuff was even involved. And now that we have video evidence of him, like literally getting angry in the batter's box, looking into the dugout them not doing any of that for the rest of the at bat or the rest of the season so at least from from video evidence so it looks like he didn't want to do that after a certain point so i can go a little easier on him than a lot of the other astros now that that still leaves bregman and correa as the main two that i have massive issues with um but now, hey, we've got it down to two guys, two guys to hate. So, uh, you know, assuming Correa moves on from the Astros after the season, uh, if they can just get rid of Bregman, then in theory, I don't have very many reasons to hate that team anymore. Everybody's moved on. Even their manager is gone. So um, I'm hoping that this offseason they get rid of Bregman. I'm praying to God because 
the Astros are a great team and it would really suck for a great team to be full of cheaters. Mm-hmm. It would really suck to see a team that's achieving to the degree that they're ch- achieving to have to be stained by such foul behavior. Um, but hey, at least we've narrowed it down to two. And then there were two, you know, <laughs> we've got to get some Highlander going on in here and then we get it down to one. There we go. Um, but anyway, <laughs> that's a movie from the 80s reference. I believe 80s, right? It can't have been the early 90s. Highlander has to have been like, what, 87 or something like, you know, like uh, Last of the Mohicans somewhere around maybe early 1986 86 oh man i was close i was like 87 uh, that, that's no, the 86. movie it's the movie yeah. i believe yeah yeah no then there can only be one uh, <laughs> but yeah no uh i i think that if you can look past correa and bregman then it's a little easier uh you know when the astros do end up winning but hopefully correa is gone after the year hopefully bregman gets dealt uh, and then we can just kind of breathe a, a bit of a sigh of relief. And I, again, uh, I'll bring this up because this, you know, of course, this will get commented on. But Yuli is still there. Yuli had just come over from Cuba. Uh, Yuli, like from what I understand, wasn't exactly the greatest with English at that point in time. And certainly he would have adhered to whatever norms were going on with the team at that point in time. I'm not going to throw away this guy's entire career in Cuba, which was storied. Like he's like, if there was a Cuban hall of fame, he'd be right in there. Um, Just because he joined a team that the norm that was already established was them doing that. You know, Beltran was there that year. Uh, I believe a few others were there that year too. Like, you know, that had been around the league for a while. Like was Redick there that year? I think Redick was there that year. The point is, is that there was a bunch of people that had already been doing it and he was brought into that culture. Um, and in fact, now, you know, at all, all these years after both of the cheating years, uh, after the 2019, after 2017, and again, I'm convinced that they did cheat in some, in some form in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm absolutely convinced of that. I, I, I think that the forms that they could be cheating with now are so close to undetectable that, you know, we might as well pretend that they, that the cheating is not going on because it could go on with everyone. You could have someone with the binoculars out mm-hmm. in center field. As soon as they get the catcher signal, they put you know a hand on their chest or they keep it by their side and you know exactly where they're sitting because they're sitting in one part of like Yankee stadium, left field. There's a little oddity in the ballpark because all of a sudden you'll have the bleachers and then they'll break inward at an angle. And if you're standing, nobody's behind you so you can stand. So if you want to go to the ball game and you want to put your stuff down and stand and have a little space, it's a great seat to get, but also it's unbelievably visible Mm -hmm. from the batter's box. So if you have somebody standing there and like, you know, they have a handkerchief, and they take out their handkerchief to wipe their, you know, sweat off their face when, you know, it's a fastball coming or something, or if it's a breaking ball coming, you get the idea. Then you see what I'm trying to say here? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can do that type of thing. But if, you know, you every team could do that. 
every team could hire, you know, any player could hire someone to do that for them. So, um, you know, hopefully we haven't really gotten into that part of the era, but uh, baseball doesn't exist. Thank you so much for your, your video respect. Um, and yeah, uh, we can kind of let Altuve, you don't, I, I don't, I, I don't have to like him. Okay. Because it, I think it, there's enough evidence to show that even if he wasn't one of the people who cheated as much as others, I think there's a lot of evidence to show that he didn't really stop it from going on when it was going on. And he was one of the leaders of the team. So it's kind of, it's kind of like with cops, you know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, if, if, if you see something that's going on, that's really not okay. And you don't step in the way, like you're, you're partially complicit. Um, You know, it's like, and I think that that's kind of, you know, how I'd feel about Altuve. I don't like him. You know, I should like him because of his numbers. And I should like him because, you know, we've, we've gotten a little bit of stress and, and weight off of him, if you will. Um, but given that, you know, he really didn't, you know, blow any whistles himself. And he really could have. Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't have to like him. I really don't. So, uh, and that moves us on to our next subject. Cause I don't want to talk about something that this is kind of sad and heavy, um, for, for, you know, this recording, uh, I want to talk about Aaron Boone. Um, now, Uh-oh, what did Boone do? So what I'm hearing from Hal Steinbrenner, what I'm hearing is that they are thinking about bringing Boone back. And as far as I'm concerned, that's one of the worst things that they can do. Um, If they're bringing Boone back, by the time this roster is in a place to win, like, like, look, here's the deal. There's three directions the Yankees can go as far as their front office goes. They can take the guys who are good now and they can try and win now and not win later and build around the guys who are good now. Or they can understand that the guys that they have that are good now, while they're very good, are not quite as on the same trajectory as the collection of younger players who are going to be in their prime all at the same point in time. However, it is reasonable. And this is the third way, third way to put together the team. It is reasonable to think that some of the guys, if not most of the guys who are win now players could possibly extend enough of their primes to be effective later on. And I think that's kind of the direction that the Yankees should be going. And that's, you know, usually the way that they go. They don't, the Yankees aren't a, a, a win later team. They're either a win now team or they're a win now and later team, both. And I think that's the direction that they're going to go. They're going to keep trying to win now but they're also going to get players that will allow them to win later. Um, I think the Yankees, the reason why they got Odor, the reason why they got Gallo is because they know that the shift being limited is coming. Um, I think that Stanton playing the field brings another level out in him. He becomes basically how he was in the national league. I think he needs that to be in his legs, have that coordination and timing a little bit better. 
Uh, I think Judge has uh, proven that, you know, he can play uh, a competent center field, although I'd certainly give him lots of breaks. I'd alternate him at DH with Hicks because Hicks was the former center fielder and he has injury issues too. So get Judge off his feet. You put Hicks out there, mainly keep Hicks off his feet to keep him healthy. I think that can work between DH and center field. Um, and, you know, having a guy like Luke Voigt being healthy for a full year rather than hurt like he was this year, almost the whole year, that can really help as well, for sure. Uh, and if not, you know, if he goes down, you put LeMahieu over there. Um, whether they go with Torres at, at, at second or Odor at second and Torres at third, I don't think Torres is going to be the shortstop. So they got to go get a shortstop. And, you know, if you go with Odor and LeMahieu in a platoon or even just, you know, Odor with um, – doesn't even have, it doesn't have to be somebody as high quality as LeMahieu in a platoon like that, but someone in, in some sort of mix with Odor. Um, and you say you go with, you know, Torres at third and then you just get a shortstop. I'd be very comfortable if the Yankees were to just then go get a backup catcher. But I don't think that that's – if the Yankees are really trying to win now and they don't feel comfortable putting Odor in an everyday role and they don't want to do like a platoon, um, and you're going to keep Torres at second base, if that's the route forward, Torres at second base. That's really the more pertinent point here. Uh, if – Torres is at second base, not third base, not shortstop. In my opinion, they need to go get a third baseman too. They need to part with Gio. Gio's a great fielder. He can hit a little bit, sure, but you need a middle-of-the-order guy there. Uh, I met Cashman once, and the one thing that he imparted uh, onto me uh, from you know, just a, a, what type of players he goes after, he likes big players. Uh, he likes his big, hairy winning machines, I believe was what he said. He said something along those lines. Um, so Joey Gallo, Stanton, um, Chapman to a certain degree, because I believe Chapman's like 6'4". Uh, LeMahieu, I believe, is 6'4". So he likes these bigger players because these players can have, you know, they can have the approaches that they have. But because of how big they are, they can, they can hit the ball in areas of the strike zone that gives them zone coverage just naturally without overextending themselves without becoming too aggressive. They can just do that. Um, so I understand the reasoning there. Um, but I do think diversity of approach in terms of percentages and as far as swinging, not swinging, you know, just and now having lefties and righties, you know, they did bring that element in this year. Um, I think that you need those in order to have victory here. Uh, so you go with, say, Chris Bryant, somebody who's six foot five for third base. You go get someone for shortstop, Story or whoever, and you go get an ace. I don't know what ace they're going to get, but I do know, you know, maybe you couple that ace by taking the money that you gave to Kluber and you bring back Tanaka because I know he wants to come back over. Um, he says he has, quote unquote, unfinished business in New York or MLB or both. And he's, unfinished business was his words. Um, so it's one of those things where I think it's basically like a three-player, four-player change, and the Yankees will be in a position immediately to win next year. But also at the same time, you get those players in there. You know, Chris Bryant should still be good for the next four or so years. 
You know, a Trevor Story should be good for the next four or five years. So they technically, they're not just win now players, but they help during the years where the Yankees are going to be getting better and better and better. Now, that being said, if you have a guy like Aaron Boone managing, even if you get a whole bunch of guys who are going to win right now, the way he's going to put them together is going to be in such a way where they're not going to be in a position to really win until he has become quicker as a manager. And that's the big thing that I say about him. It's not that he's dumb. He's a very smart guy. Boone is one of the smarter guys out there that I know of in baseball. It's that he's not fast enough. He can't think ahead as quickly as other managers. He's not managed before he came to the big leagues. Like it's such a disservice just having him do that. He should have been in double A, then in triple A, then a bench coach. Um, so basically, you know, it's the crash course, if you will. Um, and we're still going through it like three years in, four years in. I think it's four years now. Um, yeah, four years in. Um, so you got to think, you know, is it going to take six years of being a manager for him to get it together? Is it going to take seven years? You know, how many years is it going to take? You know, do we have to wait till the end of next year? When's, when is he going to be able to have caught up fully? You know what I mean? Think about all the different perspectives, not just, you know, the speed of the game, but also how to understand how to get what's inside a player's head to line up with how to use their skill set based off of the situation and based off of what you have to deal with in, in the lineup that can complement them, you know? Because if you have all of that going on, the player can buy in. They have consistency. They feel comfortable. The position suits their skill set, and the players around them suit their skill set. If you have ballpark going for them too, then everything clicks. But if you change up the lineup all the time, every single day, you know they're not going to have any sort of solid ground to stand on. And then you add on the fact that I always talk about is they don't even know whether they're going to come to the ballpark to drive in runs or to get on base to be driven in, you know, and then of course you add on the fact that all these different defenses that they can put up to defend against you based off of your batted ball spray, maybe your batted ball spray becomes more predictable because you're off balance or you hit the ball less hard because you're off balance, you know, and then you're facing different pitchers every single day with different strengths. It's just Boston really did it the right way. Very, very stable day-to-day lineup. Lefties, righties, lefties, righties. Guys who know that it's their job to drive in runs. Guys who know that it's job, their job to get on base to be driven in. Um, guys who are good at base running. Guys who are great at defense. And then at the positions where they don't have the greatest defense, they can counter for it. Like, for instance, the left side of Boston's infield is not exactly that good. Bogart's endeavors. But they have the green monster back there. So if they put somebody like, you know, Verdugo over there, who's got a cannon of an arm, anything that gets past Bogarts and gets past Devers, you're probably going to keep a guy at first base. So it's a single, you got the double play in order. So, you know, again, you know, yes, also the monster being that close makes it so that people can hit the ball against it and, you know, easily get doubles. 
But here's the deal. They're playing in that ballpark 81 times a year. So it helps righty hitters because righty hitters become more aggressive and they're able to pull the ball more and, and hit against that monster. Lefties, however, lefties tend to have V swings where they go directly at the ball. And the reason why they go directly at the ball is because it allows them to pull the ball and lefty swings tend to be a little bit less coordinated than righty swings. I'm not exactly sure why that is, but on average, that tends to be the case. So what ends up happening is if you realize that if you just get under the ball a tiny bit and you end up slicing it in another ballpark, that's a fly out to the left fielder. So you don't even want to do that. I mean, if you're swinging and getting under the ball a little bit, the more that you swing that way, the more that you get that swing in line, the more you're going to hit the ball in the air. But if you're uncomfortable doing that because you know you get easy flyouts to the left fielder, then you're not going to take the chance of swinging under that many balls. But in Fenway, if you slice it with strength, it'll hit up against the green monster because the green monster is that close and you'll still get a single or a double out of it. So it makes you more comfortable as a lefty hitter swinging and hitting underneath the ball, which makes your swing more fundamentally sound over time. So it's, it's a hack of a ballpark. You know, Yankee Stadium is short to all fields. Okay, so are a bunch of parks. But Fenway, oh my God. Fenway's a hack of a park if you want to develop hitting. So, um, but anyway, to, 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 to go back to, um, you know, Boone real quick, uh, if he stays with the Yankees, even if the Yankees get a whole bunch of really good players, until he's a good manager, I don't see this team you know, really winning a world series, even if they have a great combination of players, because there's a whole bunch of other teams that are going to be able to compete in that kind of way that are managed a lot more properly. And one of the big things that the Yankees always focus on is they want guys who are great for many years. And even if they have their flaws, we're not going to get rid of them. If they're going to be great for many years, even if the roster is not as balanced, we're not going to do that. We're just going to keep getting guys who we feel could balance out the roster and we're going to keep the best guys. And I certainly like that. I certainly like the idea of just accumulating talent and, you know, sorting it out. And like over time, just having, you know, hung on to the best players that you've gotten, especially the ones that are going to stay good. You know, the ones that don't have reasons to fall off. Um, but at some point in time, you need balance. And at some point in time, you need a manager who's going to be able to play the roster the, the right way. And, uh, you know, if Boone comes back, you know, I worry about some of the guys who just haven't emerged. Like, I worry about him actually ruining Torres, actually ruining Andahar, actually ruining Florial, Frazier, maybe even Dominguez when Dominguez comes along. These guys need a manager who knows how to deal with young players, who's gone through this before. They cannot take a chance with this many players who are developing. It, it, it's paramount that you have these players in a position to execute their skill sets. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Plenty of young players never developed for one reason or another. And I'll tell you, a darn good reason to not develop is being played completely the wrong way. And it's not just Boone, by the way, it's his coaching staff. Like Matt Blake was hired separately, so not counting him. Uh, Eric Thames, Tims, Eric, Eric Thames, 
he um very clearly is teaching hitters who should be aggressive like Torres, like Sanchez to be way, way more patient. And while it's fine to work your way towards patience, I don't think it's fine to teach a guy who's at a point in his career where he should be aggressive. He should be learning what he can hit and what he can't hit to only swing at strikes, swing at what you think you can hit. And when you learn, you can't hit it, work your way back. Um, so, you know, the fact that that wasn't exactly the approach at the plate for him, for Torres, for Sanchez, um, I think that that kind of hurt both of them and not even kind of really hurt both of them. Um, and I think it's hurting Urshela right now. Uh, I think it has a high possibility of uh, having impacted LeMahieu this year, the way like LeMahieu's numbers have dropped. Even though I'll be real, he was never what he was the last you know couple of years. Um, I don't think I really trust um, his hitting coaching. You know, certainly Gallo was a much better player with Texas than he was with the Yankees. Um, so, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a fault in the hitting coaching. Look, I'm willing to say, you know what? We're just going to count it up to just whatever for the hitting coaching. But when you see the kind of base running that this team had with Phil Nevin at third base, it's like, okay, wait a second. So Phil Nevin and the hitting coach and the manager, all three of them seem inept. Like who are the other like main coaches of that group? You got the bench coach. Okay. He was probably reinforcing what the manager is preaching. You got the first base coach who's probably like telling, you know, the hitter who's just finished his at bat, what he did right. So reinforcing what the hitting coach is saying, and also reinforcing what the third base coach is saying by saying, look, look for the signs. This is this, this is this, you know, you, you know, you're obviously not giving things away when you're out there, but you know, say look for the signs and you say okay this outfielder maybe has not been you know and we you know we've been tracking how you know his turns on the bases point is that as a first base coach you're working a lot with base running with the third base coach so for me it's like wholesale get rid of Boone and his coaches keep Blake because Blake was hired separately and and just get get all new ones because um you know, it's one thing to waste Mike Trout out in, in L.A. It's a whole nother thing to waste a whole entire team of talent year in, year out. You know, don't get me wrong. The Angels certainly had a, a group of talent, but the amount of young talent that they have and have had in the past is nothing close to what the Yankees currently have right now. And this is coming from a guy who looks at the top 400 and tracks the top 400 and works on it every day, all day. The number of position players in the majors and minors that the Yankees have on this list is obscene. And if they somehow come out of this without any championships, I mean, that is, that's one of the, that's going to be one of the saddest things I've ever seen. Um, Cause this is an obscene amount of talent. It's a, it's, it's an absolutely insane amount of talent. Um, I think, Chris, on our next show, we're going to talk about how some of the talent that the Yankees have added was very clearly in anticipation of the shift going away. Mm -hmm. I think part of the reason why they kept investing in Bird 
was because of anticipation of the shift going away. I think when Didi came in and they, you know, kept him around as, as long as they did, it was in anticipation of the shift going away. I think Gallo, the addition of Gallo, the addition of Odor, the addition of Hicks. Yeah, even as far back as Hicks. Uh, all of these were anticipation of the shift going away. Or, you know, the shift really, to be honest, when I say going away, it's really being limited. You keep two defenders in the infield on each side of second base, and you're only allowing, you know, two outfielders necessarily to be on one side of the field at the beginning of each play. Otherwise, it's basically a balk. That's how you limit it. It's not anything drastic, and you could still do things by like, oh, this guy pulls the ball. Let's switch the shortstop and the second baseman. You still have the same number of fielders on each side. It's just, oh, now you have a guy who's got more range and more athletic skill set on this side. So there's still strategy here, and it's really cool strategy because it's clear. It's like, oh, this guy pulls the ball because they just moved the shortstop over there. That could be cool. And then you get diving play by the shortstop and he jumps and throws and you, you know, they got him by a, fo a foot or whatever you get. You get what I'm saying. More exciting plays on defense, more action on offense. Um, you know, it's why Manfred, when he was talking about big changes going on in the game, he talked about it being the 10th inning rule going away. He talked about the DH coming to the national league. He talked about limits on the shift. Because all of these are very straightforward and would really help baseball out. Um, I've always said more action is needed, not necessarily shorter games. And certainly, I remember watching a couple of nights ago, maybe a week ago or something like that, there was this like four-hour game where I think Boston got like 20 hits, something like that. And um, I remember just being like, man, this was really exciting. You know, even as a Yankee fan, I, I, I know good baseball. So this was really exciting. And I remember thinking like that, those four hours, that was a long time, but it felt like a really fun, long time. It felt really engaging. And I'm like, see, that's it. That's hundred percent it. It's not about how long games are. It's all about the action. It's all about the action. Um, so, you know, shift goes away. DH comes to the national league. You want to talk about, you know, lots and lots of hitting, um, Initially, I was really on board with the 10th inning rule, but um, now I don't know how I feel about it mm. because it is very exciting and it does add a lot of action. But also to counter that, if teams are able to do any sort of cheating consistently at their home ballparks and get away with it, teams already have a, a home field advantage on top of the home field advantage that, you know, normally already exists in baseball from playing at the same place all the time and being able to bat last and just walk off. You know, the, the biggest advantage on top of that that you can get outside of cheating is, you know, having guys already be on base with no outs in, in, in a game where as soon as somebody scores where it's tied, it's over. You see what I'm saying? So, but at the same time, like both teams get the opportunity to get a guy on second base. So like, I don't know. It creates a lot of hitting, a lot of running, a lot of uh, small ball, a lot of um, late inning action that people would say, you know, would leave the game if the DH came to the national league. Um, so yeah, no, like, uh, we got the Brewers uh, Braves game on here. 
I'm sorry the, the Brewers are doing something, or the, is it the Braves or the Brewers ballpark? They're doing something incredible. So if you guys, if you guys want to see something great, you guys need to really start checking out some of these playoff games because these, these ballparks, they do incredible stuff. They just brought out this thing where they turned the lights down in the stadium and everybody took out the lights on their phones and they had it somehow planned when a reliever came out. So that just blew me away. And, you know, that's the other thing. Baseball needs showmans. Baseball needs people to do this type of stuff to get crowds excited. But anyway, we'll talk more on on the next show about how specifically the shift leaving the game really will impact everything. Um, And uh, we got a Kevin Costner quote about it, too, coming for you from Bull Durham. And uh, if by the time, you know, our next show comes out, uh, if you guys can uh, name what Kevin Costner quote that is in the comments, you know, we'll, we'll do a little bit of a shout out. Why not? Sound good, Chris? It sounds perfect to me. All right. Well, that's it for me today. That's all I got. Don't forget to hit that subscribe. Subscribe. Don't, for- don't forget to visit our Twitch. And hit Visit the, subscribe the Twitch over there and join subscribe. us for live streams every Sunday. Yes. Let's, Let's go. go. Let's go. <laughs> subscribe. <laughs>